the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. My wife Angie and I were pregnant, and uh, we were having a baby together, and uh, of course, she goes into her contraction things in the middle of the night, probably, I don't know, 11 or 12 at night, you know. I'm dead asleep, so I wake up, and she's like, come on, we got to go. I'm, like, oh. I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and I look up, and she's waddling off to the car with her bags already packed, you know. <laughs> and I started to get mad, like, she don't need me? But she looks so cute with that little watermelon ba- belly going across through there, and so we got to the hospital in the middle of the night, and they gave us a room and everything, but they don't let you sleep. They're poking on edge, and they're prodding, and they're hooking up machines, going beep, 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 and I'm over there trying to get some sleep. I'm like, What's, what does the guy got to do around here? <laughs> and, and it wasn't fair. Angie had the bed. And I'm over here on this skinny little couch thing, and, and uh, you know, I suggested we take turns, but that didn't go over well. And I wanted to get mad at her, but she looked so cute over there having her little contractions. And the little baby, who was to later be called Kaylee, she wouldn't come out. I mean, this went on all the next day. Beep, 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 contraction, this and that. But she, it's like some weird hostage negotiation it had to turn into. We're trying to get her out, and she won't come out. And finally, the doctors had to slip in there and break the water or whatever they do to try to encourage her to come forth and... That still didn't work. I ain't lying. It's like 20-something hours later that we're still in there. And finally, the nurses say, I think we're ready to push. And I'm like, yes. I might get a little sleep around here. (laughs) (laughs) And so Angie starts to push. And she's pushing and she's pushing. And I'm thinking to myself, she's got her breathing all wrong. That's not how we did it in Lamaze class. So I'm straightening her out, you know, trying to get her. I don't know what she would have done for the next two hours pushing without my coaching. <laughs> two hours of pushing. Did you catch that part? Kaylee would not come out. Finally, it's early in the next morning sometime or something, and this doctor comes in here all bright and fresh with a cup of coffee. The doctor finally comes in after this whole ordeal is almost over and says, Oh, it looks like you're trying to push the baby around the corner. Let me help you there, darling. And she goes over and she gets Angie's belly and moves it around a little bit and gets Kaylee straightened up. Kaylee was trying to come around the corner. And all of a sudden, the baby's coming. And she's like, hold on, Miss Sheffield. Let me get my scrubs on. Don't rush it. And I'm like, rush it? You know what I said to that doctor? I'll tell you later. We got to get into this message. Today's message. (laughs) No. (laughs) You're going to wonder how this fits with that story, but you will see. It's a loose, loose interpretation, but it's called, What About the Cross? 
I'm not changing the subject. We're going to get to it. What about the cross? If you're following along on your little sheet, it's always generally the first question to ask you. What's the title of today's sermon? The cross is of first importance. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll see. I'll show you in the Word that it's of first importance. It's just not me talking. You know, I had a little time between, well, I had this week before we go into whatever we're going into next week, because we finished our last series last week. And so this is just like a free will and service. And I thought, God, what do you want to do? And, you know, one of the things we got to do as a church is keep coming back to the cross. We can never stray so far away from the cross. We get into some self-help club or something. It is, we, without the cross, we are nothing. We have to keep coming back to the cross. 1 Corinthians 15.3. I'm going to read it out of the NIV version. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what's the most important thing that Paul's trying to get across to us? That Christ died for our sins. And where did he die? On the cross. He died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So there you have it, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ all in one scripture. You might want to jot that one down when you want to tell your friends about what happened. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 in the message translation. Now, I don't preach a lot out of the message. I know it's just a paraphrase. It's not a literal translation. But I love the way that it says some things. And so I thought I would share it with you. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 says, You'll remember, friends, that when I came to you to let you in on God's masterstroke or God's plan, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First, Jesus and who he is. And then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. Where was he crucified? On the cross. First importance. Keep it plain. Keep it simple. Je Paul says, I preached the cross and Jesus crucified. You ever heard anybody say, I hear this all the time. I'm a good person. Some people may say, I'm a good person. Some people may say, oh, I'm a good person. Usually when I ask them, are they going to heaven? Do they know if they're going to heaven or hell? They're, I'm a good person. You lie. That's what I want to say. I never said it yet, but I'm, I'm working up the courage. But you lie. You're not a good person. And I don't have to know which one I'm talking about. It's all of them. It's all of you. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. There's none righteous. None. And, and all you born-again believers out there thinking, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, you are, but you're still living in that flesh right now. And at any given time, if we, if we were to grade you on God's scale, you're not a good person. 
apart from him. Am I telling the truth? And I want to say, and I do say this, when they tell me they're going to heaven because they're a good person, or they think that's why they're going, they usually don't know, they're just reaching. I say, what about the cross? What about the cross? If you could be good enough to get to heaven without the cross, without Jesus dying on the cross, then why did he come? What was the whole point? Why would God send his son to go through that if we could just work our way to heaven? John 12, 32. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He knew. Man, when you see me up there loving you like that, it's going to make a difference. Seeing him there caused me to re-examine my rebellious attitude. But to be honest, I heard about the cross all my life. I grew up in a Catholic church, had a little Catholic upbringing, and, and everywhere you turned, there was a cross with Jesus on it. I saw the symbols, but I didn't get it. But once I got it, man, I realized that I had been living like a, a lifeless zombie. Once I lost sight of what, why I was created and what I was here for and what God had done for me, I, I, I became a lifeless zombie and I was sucking the life out of everything. I was trying to find meaning for my existence. What am I here for? I don't Maybe I can find some joy over here. Maybe I can find some peace. And anybody around me was like, man, this dude is nuts, you know. I was trying things that I shouldn't try and doing things I shouldn't do. And I was pulling the life out of everyone around me. You can ask my wife. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't need somebody to tell me the complexities of the Holy Trinity or to explain end-time eschatology to me and other big words that I can barely pronounce, much less know what they mean. You know, I'm glad I didn't, I'm a pastor who never went to seminary school because I can barely say the word seminary. <laughs> I'm glad I don't know all those big terms. I know the cross, though. I know Jesus crucified, and I know what it meant to me. And I'm glad somebody, and it was at this church about 20 years ago, finally explained the cross to me and made it of central importance in my heart. 1 Corinthians 1.17. You should be still in 1 Corinthians. Hmm? No, we went to John. Y'all didn't turn to John, did you? All right, well, go back. Unless you just want me to pick another one in John, we can do that. They're all good. 1 Corinthians 1.17. Obviously, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth again. He says, for Christ didn't send me to baptize, although there's nothing wrong with baptism. He's not saying that. But he's saying God called him for a special purpose. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. How? Not with clever speech, for the fear of the cross would lose its power. And in other words, if I'm up here using big words, and I'm up here making myself seem important, then it's detracting from the cross. It's like me wearing a neon 
a suit like an urban cowboy or something, you know. It's, it's just distracting. It's making much of me. And we want to make much of the cross. He said, I didn't do it with clever speech for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, we know it is the very power of God. See, we're talking about something with power. The cross gave me reason to live again. When I had lost meaning, meaning in my life was non-existent. I was like, why am I here? What is this all about? Is it, we're just going to die and go in the grave and that's it, man. I, I might as well go now. But when I saw Jesus high and lifted up, the cross gave me reason to live. And it gave me a new willingness to die. I didn't fear death anymore. Do you realize the implications of the cross once you've received Christ into your life? It's a new desire to live. Not just suck life dry. You may have heard the story of a little five-year-old boy. Him and his little older sister had both had a blood disease. And his body had created antibodies for it and had fought the disease off. And he was doing well, but his sister was progressively getting worse and worse. And the doctor set the little boy down and said, since your, your blood has the antibodies your sister needs, would you be willing to give your sister blood? And the little boy got quiet. And he, he said, would this help my sissy? The doctor said, oh yes, it, it, it's probably what she needs. He said, well, it, it, if it'll help sissy, I'll do it. And so they hooked him up and as the blood began to transfer over to her body, you could see her cheeks coming back glowing red and life just coming into her body. And the mother and dad started smiling and the little boy smiled too and the doctor smiled and they said, this is working. And all of a sudden, the little boy stopped smiling, put his head down. Then he looked at the doctor and he says, how long till I begin to die? Because in his misunderstanding he thought he had to give his sister all his blood we can't preach a bloodless gospel we can't sanitize the cross down to some veggie tales version this is real this is life this message of the cross is full of anguish and travail and blood and gore this is real stuff. It's bloody work for giving sins. Because life is in the blood. And God had said in the beginning, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sin is a big deal. And salvation is messy work. And that cross, I guess it was necessary. I know it was necessary to jog us into seeing how serious God is about us. How much He's willing to do. 
Let me ask you, how many in this room today would die for a stranger? We've got a pretty honest group. <laughs> pretty brutal, honest group. <laughs> how many in here would be willing to die for an ungrateful stranger? How many in this room would be willing to die for an outright enemy? I think you're starting to get the point. One more question. How many parents in this room would send your child to die for anybody? Colossians 1-2 says, Through Jesus, God reconciled to himself everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Real, life-giving blood of God Almighty mingled with the filth of the cross. What does this say about your worth to God? See, I had lost self-worth without the cross. Doesn't what He was willing to pay for you, doesn't that touch a secret place in your heart? That place where we all secretly maybe not admit it, but we yearn to be loved, to feel special, to be kept, held. Brother Joshua, is there any way you could maybe put them in the nursery or the children's church? <clears throat> Jesus embraced the cross because it made all things new. Watch that video. Somebody get the lights.
1 Peter 2.24 says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And by his wounds, you are healed. We're clearly of first importance to Jesus. If I were to ask you why you're at church today, I doubt anybody's answer would be, oh, I need to hear a feel-good story or I'll learn a new philosophy, you know. I, I need to know the ten keys to this or that. I need a self-image boost. That's why I'm here. I'm a, some of you come because for all different reasons. I'm not saying you, but if, if you keep the cross in your focus, I'm going to tell you, you're probably here today because cross of Jesus has buckled your human pride. It's probably encouraged you to breathe in new possibilities. You're not the old person that you once were. You've rethought your existence through the cross. Why am I here? It's unraveled mysteries in your befuddled heart. I was like a wild stallion. I couldn't be harnessed for anything good. I was going in every direction all at the same time fast. I was pulled apart. But the cross, it loosed me from myself and it spurred me towards a grander design for my life. A deeper meaning, a grander purpose for this existence and who I am. It brought eternal meaning into my life. Paul said in Galatians 6.14, it's for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in the world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. See, the cross cuts off the things of this world, these temporary things that don't matter. You can't give yourself to temporary things anymore now that you see the eternal God hanging on the cross. And know the implications of being born again and having life eternal and having Christ. We've got to keep the cross of first importance. We can never leave it and preach that bloodless gospel that so many are saying that we should do. Galatians 3.1, I love how it says it in the message. I don't normally preach out of the message, but it says, you crazy Galatians. Well, that's pretty good in the King James, too. It says, you foolish Galatians. Did somebody, did somebody put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. They had lost sight of why they were even a church. Taking their eyes off of Jesus and now they were inching back towards some dry, empty religious mindset. And that's what happens to churches that get their eyes off of Jesus and forget the cross and move on to better things. There's nothing better 
Who would you be without the cross? I'm asking you. I say you'd be a lifeless zombie. Where would you be without the cross? You don't know. You'd be lost. And what would you be without the cross? Helpless. So don't become a lost, helpless zombie. Get rid of cable. Upgrade to the cross. <laughs> but it's all true. The cross is where Jesus died, and it's where Paul tells us we must die daily. We've got to keep coming back to the foot of the cross if we want to experience the fullness of Christ's resurrection. You see, there's a dying, and then there's a resurrection. At the cross, we die to ourselves so we can be raised to newness of life. You must die before you can be raised. Die to the old man, to the old self, to the old sinful desires. Colossians 2.14 says, Jesus canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away, nailing it to his cross. Your sins, because he didn't have any of his own, and they would take the sins of the person that was being crucified and they would nail it to their cross. So they, people walking by would say, well, that's why he's up there. But there was no reason for Jesus to be up there. All they could think of was he said he's the king of the Jews. But he was the king of the Jews. But in the Spirit, Christ took your sins and nailed it to his cross and said, that's why I'm here. And then if you read in Galatians 5.24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passion and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. He took your sins and paid the debt. Now you take that, those sinful passions and desires that you still have while you're in this flesh, and you nail them there. So that it doesn't happen again. So you don't go back into the bondage in which he has released you from. Take your evil, sinful passions and nail it to the cross and take your God-given passions and kneel at the cross. Give glory to the one hanging on the cross who was raised for your justification. And then we're to close the circle of God's love. I sound like a Baptist preacher today, don't I? I got points and everything. We're preaching the cross. I love the Baptists. They preach the cross. They don't let it go. We can't let it go either. We've got to close the circle of God's love. What do I mean? We've got to give away this good thing we found. It doesn't, you don't just receive it and that's it. You have the words of eternal life. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. You know, if you've been wounded and you're angry and you're bitter and you don't know where to, what to do with all this hurt, then you often lash out. And we see hurt people every day in Aldi's or Best Buy or somewhere. 
nudging their way through the front of the line, bitter attitudes, and, and we think, man, somebody needs to smack them. But we should be saying somebody needs to love them because it's because they've been hurt that they're hurting other people. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against the spirits that are controlling the people. That's, they've been hurt, so they're hurting people. And I love what Lisa Tubbs added Wednesday night two weeks ago when she ministered. She said, if hurt people hurt people, then healed people heal people. And we're healed people. If healed people heal people, I would add, then what do saved people do? They go save people. It's just in us because true Christians will carry their cross. It can no longer be about you anymore. It's bigger than you. We thought life was about us. We thought the earth was in the center of the universe. But it's not. True Christians carry the cross with all its anger, all its anguish, all its travail, all its blood, and all its gore, as nasty as it can be, they carry it to those who are yet to be born again so that they can find eternal life. They close the circle of God's love. It's got to be first in our thinking. We've got to see people. I pray all the time, God, help me see people. Some days I take a break and go get me something to eat, and I may be going to Arby's or something, and I just get my Arby's and I eat and I leave. But some days... When I'm thinking right, I say, God, help me see somebody in Arby's. If they're acting mean, help me see what's going on in their life. Speak something. Say something. Smile. Something. Don't let me leave without spreading this light some kind of way. We've got to close the circle. And speaking of closing, it's time for me to close. And speaking of blood and gore, have you ever seen somebody give birth to a baby? <laughs> like I said, Angie and I were pregnant. We were having a baby. And the doctor comes in there after, I don't know what, 24, 26 hours, says, hold on now that the baby's finally wanting to come out. You know what I said to that doctor? I didn't say nothing to that doctor. She's the doctor. I was, like, I was over there scared. I was, I was afraid I was going to pass out, you know. But once she straightened Angie's belly up, Kaylee straightened up. I mean, as soon as she put her gloves on, it was like, come on out. I'm not embarrassing you, Emma, sweetie. Just, just here. But Angie became truly, truly heroic in my eyes that day. I mean, I know her eyeballs had been strained out, and they were sitting on stems like this, you know, like a crawfish from pushing for two hours. I, it sounds like a compliment, but it's not. No, it's <laughs> not. But because we had gone through this crazy ordeal together, now we would ride on a different plane together at a different height. 
a different level. Our relationship went to And when I saw that baby, I thought I loved it while it was in the womb. But once it come out and I saw her, I mean, I didn't know we could love like this. And I looked over at Auntie and I said, I, I didn't know I could love like this. We had been in the foxhole together. We'd been down in the trenches. We had fought the good fight. We didn't know if we were ever coming out. <laughs> For a baby to break through the veil, the anguish is there, the travail is there, the blood and the gore, it's all there. Together we had just witnessed the miracle of new birth, a labor of love, and the inherent struggle that it takes to bring life forward. We, okay, mostly Angie, had a lot to do with my Lamaze coaching, but I would say in the same sense, Jesus and I are birthing baby Christians together. Okay, well, maybe he does most of the work. Okay, maybe he does all the work, but I'm there. And it's important that I'm there because it's cementing us together as family. Because we go through it together. The anguish, the travail, the blood, the gore. It's joining in in His struggle and sacrifice that cements us together. It's seeing His struggle and His sacrifice that touches our hearts and causes us to cry out. And then it's getting involved and seeing it happen in other people's lives. Oh man, me and Jesus, we've been in the foxhole together now. There's nothing. When I stay in that foxhole, you know what I mean being in the foxhole because soldiers, they, they make... This, this is Cleveland. He's from Dallas. You know, and this is, what was it said in Forrest Gump? You got the two soldiers. They're from different cities. They don't know one another. But once they've fought a few battles together, man, they, they would jump on a grenade for one another. There's something about doing battle together. Getting nasty for Jesus. Joining in that struggle. And at the cross, we, meaning me and Jesus, we become inseparable brothers. And when we, me and you, we work together to help somebody, to go to an outreach, to do whatever it is that we do, to watch the babies, to teach them, to teach one another, to hold classes, to minister, to say hello at the door. When we join together and do the work of the ministry, we are cemented together as brothers and sisters in this thing. And it started at the cross. Everybody who's broken through the veil only to realize that Jesus has been in the fire with us the whole time. Those who meet at the cross can never be pulled apart. John 16, 21 says, it, It's like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into this world. So there's ebbs and flows in life. 
There's ebbs and flows. You go through it. You go through the suffering. Suffering for Christ's sake. You go through everything you do, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you go through it with the focus on the cross. Say, what about the cross? Is it too late to help get you to help me preach today? Say, what about the cross? See, the cross answers every question. Some of you may be saying today, I don't feel like nobody loves me. I say, what about the cross? <laughs> Somebody might say, I, I, I feel like I can't go on. I would say, what about the cross? <laughs> God can't use me. I, I'm, I'm no good. It's too late for me. What about the cross? What about a new birth? What about making all things new? You may say, well, nobody noticed me. What about the cross? Life makes no sense to me. It does at the cross. What about the cross? They're having a good time. Uh, you may say, and this is despicable, I can't make it to church. I say, what about the cross? That's just a little pastor humor. I'm obviously the only one that got that. And Zoe. When Satan tells you, here, Take these pills to ease the pain. You know what you tell him? There you go. You're getting it. When Satan says, she don't really love you. Here, take this pornography. What about the cross? When he says, you need to get back at that person for what they did to you. When he says you deserve to hold on to that unforgiveness, you poor little thing. The cross will keep you straight. The cross will get your thinking straight. Stop that stinking thinking. Last one. When you're tempted to give up on this crazy world and say, let them all go to hell. Whoa, now. I want you to back up. And ask yourself, what about it? What you going to do with it? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.